Hi, this is Drew Garcia with the Landscape Group. Thank you for listening to today's interview brought to you by our Safety and Risk Management Network, Studio One. Welcome back, everyone. Today, we're talking with Roscoe Clossing of the Clossing Group, who recently celebrated a rare feat of three years without a lost time incident for the company. And Roscoe actually created a video to capture the moment. He had employees, past employees, family members of employees and vendors, all kind of congratulating the company and sharing in that special moment. So Roscoe, we'll jump into that and we'll talk a little bit more about that video and everything that went behind such an accomplishment. But before we do that, could you just kind of give us a brief overview or bio of your company in the history there? I can. Thanks for having me, Drew. I appreciate it. It's exciting to be on the phone with you. So my company, Claw Group, was founded in 1997. We've been through a few iterations over the last quarter century. I started the company in high school, and as is the case with many landscapers, we did a little bit of everything for everyone. I got involved in the National Association of Landscape Professionals back in 1998, and it really changed the course of my business. And today, we are a commercial grounds maintenance company. We've got an office here in Lexington, Kentucky, where I live, and we opened a second office six years ago in Louisville. So we do all business-to-business sales, grounds maintenance, snow removal, enhancements for that group of customers. And we've got about 70 employees at peak season. Well, I appreciate that. Perfect. Great overview there. We do get the whole gamut from start to where you guys are currently. And it does kind of tie into what we're going to talk about today, specifically about the accomplishment that you guys had with limiting the last time incidents and the feat of three years. And to talk about 70 employees in the type of business that you're in, and you got two different locations there. So there's an interesting component into communication and maintaining that company culture all not under one roof. You got two different locations to talk about. Specifically, what came to mind after you created this video, and I just thought the concept was so cool and you delivered it so well, I wanted to ask you, how did you come up with the idea to create the video to kind of commemorate the accomplishment? Well, pandemic has changed a lot of things for for everyone's business. And for us, we recognized very early on that we had to find new ways to communicate. It is really easy when you're a contractor to decide, hey, we'll we'll call a meeting in the morning before everybody launches from the yard. And well, it's not working that way anymore. (laughs) We're doing more direct reporting. Not the entire management team is in the office. And so we started doing more video communications, group texts, and it really kind of came from there. We obviously wanted to celebrate three years without a lost time accident. It's a, it's a huge deal and pretty rare in the industry. And, and so we just uh, thought not only is it a big deal that any one individual has worked to maintain a safe and work environment for themselves, but safety is really about more than looking out for yourself. It's about looking out for your core coworkers. And one of the things that we, we realized is that we only accomplished this as a team and, and probably the people that appreciate it the most are our friends and family. And safety is one of those things a little bit like they say about your health. It's all that matters until until you don't have it. So we thought we'd, we'd surprise some folks. We reached out to a lot of spouses, vendors that everybody knows, friends and family, and wonderfully, everybody was willing to send in videos that they recorded from their home or from their office. And everybody kept it a secret. So it was great to have so many of my staff watch the video and be surprised to see their kids or their wife or a vendor that they like congratulating them. It was, it was a lot of fun to do. 
Oh my goodness, you're giving me goosebumps kind of talking about it. How, so how did you show that video? Where where was everybody? Were you all together to see it? Or is it something that you sent out with an email? How'd you get it out to everybody? So we've been using a group texting service to communicate with our staff. You know, not everybody checks email as regularly as they text. So we use YouTube to share stuff. Well, I'm sorry, we, we, we use it to host, right? And then by texting out links to people, we can share training videos, safety videos, and in this case, this congratulatory announcement and video. I use a software we've been using a lot since the pandemic started, and it's free software is on my iPhone. I believe it's called iMovie. You know, to be honest, it probably took about two hours of fiddling with to, to figure out how to use it efficiently, but I don't know, we've made something like 20 or 25 training videos since the pandemic started using it and it's a piece of cake. So to involve everyone, I, I literally just sent out an email and said, send us some congratulatory remarks. Tell us you're proud of us. Tell us what you appreciate about a company with a strong safety culture and do it all while you're shooting a little selfie video. So that's what happened. I got flooded with emails from friends and family and vendors and customers and just mashed them all together. I just, uh, I love it from start to finish on this and, you know, using free resources that are out there, you don't have to go and get the latest video camera and software to cut film up. You can basically get this done from our phones, which is what you, you know, you were able to accomplish with this is simply use the phones and the power of text message to get the information out and, and have it come back and then use the iMovie application, put it all together. So I think for people listening that might be interested in doing their own video, whether they're capturing safety or like you talked about, just doing training, it makes those types of things much more achievable and less daunting when you think about it like that. And just kind of relooking at what you already have and trying to make use of it. And like you said, obviously the pandemic has shifted everybody to trying to become a little bit more creative with how we stay in contact with everybody. So I want to give a ton of credit there for thinking outside the box and really pulling this whole thing together. That was awesome. Thanks. I appreciate it. It was fun to make the video. We uh, we did a few other little things. We, we made it a point to uh, deliver sack lunches to everybody that day. As you can imagine, we're not hosting the normal, you know, everybody eats breakfast or lunch together events that we, we would typically have hosted to celebrate. So you just got to, got to look at everything a little bit differently. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very cool. Well, to shed some light on the just focusing on three years without a lost time incident, what led you guys down that path to even track that or to realize that, hey, we're at three years now? Was this something you have always done? Have you always kind of monitored the ability to keep lost time claims from occurring? Is this is the company all, always aware of where they're at with this? Uh, kind of triggered the, the start of the event. It's probably been about 10 years now that we have tracked how long we've gone without lost time accidents. And over the course of the 10 years, let's see, as you know, we just hit three years. Our record before that was two months short of three years. So we've, we've had some pretty good runs. There was actually a single event that we learned a ton from that didn't really encourage us to start tracking it, but led us to get really aggressive with our return to work program. And that's what allowed us to start really expanding the length of time that we went without a lost time accident. Yeah, so you mentioned return to work, and that's what came to my mind when I think of somebody within the landscape industry that's able to limit lost time claims and 
to, to run it to three years, a lot of people might go, oh my goodness, there's a lot of luck involved. And you know what, there's a, there is a little bit of luck with that because, you know, circumstances and accidents occur and things can happen. But I feel like you, you would have to have a strong return to work program or really understand how to manage and operate that type of system in order to get to three years. So can you talk to us a little bit about your return to work program and, and how it helped you guys get to that number? Yeah, sure. I guess the first thing I'd say is that there's a lot of confusion about what it means to work without a lost time accident. There are a lot of people that believe that that means that we've somehow gone over three years without a single accident, a single incident, a single injury. And, and that's simply not the case. Instead, the question is, if someone has been injured, were they able to return to work the next day or did they have to sit at home because a doctor said, look, you can't go back to work. You've been injured too much. For us, I mentioned that we had a single incident that triggered things for us and really made us get aggressive with our return to work program. We had a an individual get injured. It was a back injury. And, and frankly, just out of ignorance, not knowing how to handle it, we didn't offer this individual an opportunity to come into the office and work light duty, even though that was allowable. And they ended up being out of work for about six months before they reached maximum medical recovery. And at the end of that six-month period, they decided to quit what we learned is that when someone is injured, it's it's very much the responsibility of the employer to stay in contact with them, to aggressively communicate to them that their injuries are covered under workers' compensation insurance, and, and we expect them to return to work as soon as possible. So we make accommodations for folks. I mentioned we're, we're not a big company, so we don't have a big written policy about what exactly the return to work program is. Instead, we're able to develop one for anyone who is hurt based on whatever that injury is. It can range from still working with the crew in the field, but limiting their activity to being in the office answering phones or filing paperwork. Or in some cases, we've even had people study for certification programs, but, but ultimately the goal is get them back to work. Perfect. I think that I could probably go down about 30 to 40 more minutes strictly on return to work and how much I feel like my views align with yours when it comes to creating that program and, and managing and running it. To keep us on the track of just the three-year incident and get, trying to get to some other questions here, I wanted to also ask you, what do you think, aside obviously return to work being a very important part of the achievement, what were some of the other leading factors that allowed the company to achieve the results that you achieved in terms of making sure everybody was always in the loop on safety and just to keep the goal in sight or what you guys were trying to communicate as a company, how are you keeping that on a daily basis to the forefront? How are you keeping mm -hmm. safety to the forefront? Well, I guess, you know, I do want to provide one clarifying point. So we have always had a, a strong safety culture and everything really starts from there. I described an incident that occurred where we were then encouraged to create an aggressive return to work program, but an aggressive return to work program standalone does not allow you to go three years without a lost time accident. You've probably heard the safety adage, frequency leads to severity. You simply cannot have these kind of periods pass without someone being seriously injured if at its core, your company is not committed to safety from the top. The reality is people do get injured. And, and while you do need to have a return to work program in place, if you are not seeking to mitigate 
risk and injury every day, inevitably something will come along that is so severe that the no return to work program is going to solve that problem. We keep safety at the front of everything. We have, we have three production metrics that we track safety, quality, and efficiency. And our rule, our mantra is very simple. They are always stated in that order because that is our order of importance. If we cannot do the job safely, then we cannot do the job. If we can't do it safely and do it when we meet our quality standards, then we have no business starting to talk about how do we do it more efficiently and cut man hours or materials or whatever it may be. So that sends a really strong message to always talk about the safety metric first, then quality, and then efficiency. It makes a ton of sense. And I think outside contracting business in general, having some clear goals like that to help you keep on track with whatever you're trying to accomplish as an organization needs them from somewhere. And I think you really made that simple. And it makes sense, safety being the forefront there. You mentioned frequency and managing frequency and trying to navigate injuries from occurring or incidents from occurring. How do you guys come up with what might lead to frequency? Do you have a safety committee? Are you, are you talking with crew members to see what they're concerned about? How do you manage frequency so that it doesn't become an issue and ultimately impact severity? Well, we do have a safety committee, and it has the standard role that most safety committees have, both uh, directing our safety program by coming up with topics for us to review. They're responsible for investigating incidents. We've got a pretty broad definition of what an incident is. And I've seen a lot of different ways to track incidents. For us, we have personal injury, we have property damage, and then we have vehicle and equipment because I believe that frequency ultimately leads to severity. That means to me that every little accident, no matter how small it is, you know, you can't put a dollar value on it and say, well, we're not going to log it if it's less than $500 of damage to the truck. Well, it could have been someone pinned between the truck and the trailer, as opposed to a, a small dent that costs less than $500 to repair. So having kind of a broad definition of what the incidents are, again, tracking them routinely. We, we report out everything that occurs. Our production team gets a report every Tuesday afternoon that shows every incident that's been recorded by a crew. We just track these metrics and we talk about them a lot. And then I think some people listening might also think, wow, they have so much in place and there's a lot of systems that it probably have obviously evolved over time and you continue to fine tune things to get them to where they want to be. But they also might be thinking, wow, this seems like Roscoe has got a lot of involvement in this, which you, it sounds like you do, but I feel like you probably also have, you know, everybody else in the company is accountable and they probably feel the same way you feel. So oversight on all this, although you are overseeing the entire company, I feel like the way that you've set it up kind of helps it run itself, so to speak. Is that the case for you guys? Is there a lot of buy-in from everybody within the company? Yeah, I think that there is. To me, nothing says that you care about your staff more than being willing to go above and beyond to ensure that they all go home safe at the end of every day. I am truly committed to that. I care immensely about the safety, and it generally starts with this ownership and a commitment from management. Honestly, there's some pretty simple decisions that have to be made by an owner or a manager in order to have a strong safety program, and it starts with well, getting back to our metrics, if you can't do it safely, we're, we're not going to do it. I'll just call this out as an example. The most fatal injury in Kentucky 
among landscapers is rollovers from lawnmowers. And if you look at the reports, it's very clear. It's always because someone is mowing on an embankment where they should not be mowing or mowing alongside the top of a wall or a waterway. Well, that means that an owner, a manager, has to be willing to say to their staff, that is unacceptable. We have to find a safer way to take care of this piece of the property. You don't have to have software and safety committees to simply be willing to slow down and say, oh, yeah, I I know that the owner's manual says my lawnmower won't operate on a slope greater than 30 degrees or 25 degrees. Well, guess what? A lot of slopes out there exceed that amount, and you just got to be willing to say no. Right. You got to be able to pull back and slow yeah. things down, like you had mentioned. And I guess that's probably the challenge there for most people is you kind of get set in production and moving things along. And you always probably assume it's not going to happen. You know, it won't happen. Mm-hmm. And obviously no one wants to be in that position where something actually does. So that makes a lot of sense. Right. You put your foot down and say, hey, we can't, we can't do this. We got to find a, a different way to get it done. Yeah. And, you know, Drew, the other, other piece to it is this, again, ownership, management, you have to elevate the consequences for breaking the rules of safety to the same level as any other disciplinary action that would be administered within the company. As soon as you start saying, well, not having your PPPE on isn't as big a deal as showing up late, if you're not willing to discipline someone for a safety violation, then you've automatically made it less important than all the other things. We came up with a safety matrix and our supervisors use it as a guide to help them determine what level of disciplinary action is appropriate when they observe a safety violation. And following that theme we've been talking about, as frequency increases or severity increases, so does the disciplinary action. There's a big difference between being caught a third time without your safety glasses on than a one-time oversight. Right. And you have to have the ability to be appropriate with the actions that need to come because somebody is not following the rules and be consistent with that. Coming up with, again, you've evolved and come up with, seems like, like you said, the matrix to fulfill that and to satisfy that need, which is, again, another topic that would be great. I can tell we're going to probably have to have a couple with you here. I wanted to also loop this and see if it makes sense to you here, but obviously limiting lost time incidents, which are the most costly when it comes to workers' compensation, and the impacts that that could potentially have on your experience mod and your future premiums, you, without even having to get into those details, I already would assume you're realizing the cost benefit that this is keeping off of your work comp premiums because you're putting in the groundwork and now you're just receiving that benefit because of a lower X mod, lower loss history, you're a better risk for underwriters to evaluate. So you're already set up in terms of seeing the best pricing from the market in that regard. But I wanted to ask you, Is safety a part of the buying criteria for the customers that you serve? And if it's not, how do we make that something that's valuable to our customers so that you could see the reward on that end as well? I would assume that people who are purchasing service from you would like to know that you're a very safe company and that they could trust you could come onto their property and do a nice job. So is it currently set up where that is a differentiator for you? Or could you kind of speak to a little bit of that? Yeah, I can. We do reap financial benefits from having a a good safety record. Like you said, our three-year average EMOD is is 0.75. 
So we're basically getting a 25% discount off of our workers' compensation insurance every single year. How we use that for marketing, and we do, uh, depends on, on who we are speaking to. So we absolutely use it for prospects. And it, again, it still does depend on what market segment we're speaking to. So as an example, we do a good bit of work for public utilities, for industrial and manufacturing facilities. And you won't be surprised to know that those people speak the language of safety. So it, it is easy for us to communicate about EMODs and lost time accidents and our OSHA recordable incident rate and for someone to know exactly what language we're speaking and how important that is for them. You start to get in a retail environment or working with an apartment community and it doesn't matter as much. That is, they don't track EMODs. Many of the buyers in those market segments aren't even aware of, of what they are. And so we have to talk to them about the impact that it has on their customers, their tenants, their employees. It goes back to the whole benefit analysis and making sure that you're really not just talking about the feature, but the benefit to the buyer. We use it when we're recruiting as well. As I mentioned earlier, to me, nothing says you care more than making sure that your staff are safe and that they've got the tools and equipment they need to, to operate safely every day, that they're appropriately trained. So it is also part of our recruiting message. That was going to be my next question, too, in terms of trying to attract and obviously retain talent once it comes into the door and using safety as a crutch to make some of that occur. And I would encourage anybody who's listening right now to just venture over to Roscoe's website for Classing Group and pop around on there. And I think that everything that you're saying and and how much you care about your employees and your business really shows up virtually on your website. And you might have other social media platforms that you utilize as well. I only saw your website, but you can see that you utilize video and a blog to boost and improve company culture. And I think you were obviously doing all of this prior to the pandemic. So you are in a better position to handle the distance now and, and trying to keep company culture strong through a tough time. But I would encourage everybody to check out your website and see what you're doing there because all of it might not directly relate to safety, although some of it does. You are calling out safety specifically on a few different things. But it seems like you're using that concept to help with all of this, helping with sales, helping with attracting new talent, and just to make sure that people are understanding the business that you're running and what management and everybody is trying to create within the business. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, it is. Yeah, I think one of the most downloaded pieces of content that we've created was a kind of a summary of the 10 most common safety violations that we see landscapers making and kind of calling it out for buyers so that they know I need to be looking for these things. If my landscaper is making this mistake, I need to either correct them or find somebody who's not going to make it because it can put your customer at risk. Perfect. I love it. It's really full circle with, with what you're doing there and how you're running the business. And I kind of wanted to tie everything off here. You mentioned in 1998 joining NALP and that kind of really pushing your business to the next level. Obviously, for a number of different reasons, I'm sure you've met people within the association and other members that have, whether it's a peer group or committee and just really learning from each other and helping to grow your company and being able to ask questions to people that maybe have been doing or been in the business longer than you. But, you know, NAOP does have a very strong presence when it comes to safety. They have the Safe Company program, and prior to that, it was STARS. Do you utilize anything from NALP when it comes to safety? 
And has that helped the formation of your business over the years? I do. We're members of the Safe Company Program, and the Safe Company Program is kind of an updated, much improved version of the STARS Safety Program before that. I've used all the resources. Many people comment that joining an association is about education, but it's also largely about networking. I've met so many wonderful people who have opened up their doors. Uh, probably about seven years ago, I, I had a few people I met through through NALP who opened up their doors to me, and I spent three days on the West Coast touring landscape companies and meeting with safety directors of each one of those companies, and great, great experience it was just people sharing their ideas and their wins and their successes with us. So a lot of what we've done is just duplicating what we've seen elsewhere. The Safe Company Program is a great resource, tons of free tools. And as I mentioned, I've been involved for a long time and I've watched it evolve and it just keeps getting better and better and more and more user-friendly. I'm not an old guy, but I can remember back when all the tailgate talks that were given to the landscape industry were clearly generic talks that targeted the construction industry as a whole. And now we can get tons of information that is perfectly targeted to landscape contractors just like me, and it makes it a lot more impactful. Well, Roscoe, we really appreciate you taking the time to share your story here and giving us a really detailed look behind the success of the three-year accomplishment. And in the years that I've known you now, you've always been so open and willing to share information. And I can tell you're kind of just paying it forward because it sounds like you've had some mentors in the past that have done the same for you and your heart's in the right place with what you're doing. And we really do appreciate you taking the time to join us today on the podcast. Is there anything else that you would want to make mention of, of anything else going on or have we pretty much touched on everything there? I think I would just reiterate that it's really up to ownership, managers, push the pause button, slow down a little bit and make sure that in, in everything that they are doing. They are truly prioritizing the safety of their staff above everything else. When leadership starts to behave that way, there will be a significant cultural change in an organization, but it, it has to start with leadership. Well said. We really, really appreciate the insight that you've given us today. And I encourage people to check out Roscoe's website. And do you have any other social media sites that people can see your information? Yeah, we do. Of course, we're at closinggroup.com. You can find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and we have a YouTube channel as well. Very cool. Well, more information for people to take in. And thank you again, Roscoe, for joining us today. We'll have to do it again sometime soon. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Drew. This is Alyssa Burley with Rancha Mesa. Thanks for tuning in to our latest episode produced by Studio One. For more information, visit us at ranchamesa.com and subscribe to our weekly newsletter.